When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good afternoon and welcome to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always is my good friend, Jim Stam. How you doing, sir? Gary, I'm good, man. I'm coming to you from an undisclosed location out of state today. I feel I feel uh, uh, it's a little different. We got, But there is a foot of snow here. It doesn't really seem like baseball either, but uh, we'll play through it. <laughs> and so Jim's from the Bat Cave, and calling in to the show today is a very special guest. He is the 1989 Rookie of the Year, Greg Olson, uh, pitcher for the Orioles for uh, you know the majority of his young career, and then moved about after that. Greg, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Great to be on. Thank you. I'm really, really looking forward to the conversation because we want to pick your brain about pitching more than anything. But before we get into that, I want to start out by talking about your book. Uh, we got to play baseball. It's it's a collection of 60 stories of, of just different players, including yourself. Um, I really have been enjoying reading it a little bit. There, it's a really cool stories from like Jim Abbott in there. Um, I just I found it really endearing, actually. So uh, what was it like putting that together, and what's some of your favorite stories from that book? You know, it was a lot of fun putting it together because you just you get to catch up with some guys, and, and uh, you know, I did a lot of it when I was scouting, so I would see some guys that I didn't necessarily have a great relationship with and, and uh, just say, hey, you know, I know you're going to be here tomorrow night, 24-hour uh, notice, give me your favorite baseball story when you're sitting around talking ball, and uh you know, tried to keep it reasonably clean, and most of the guys wanted to anyway. So it was um, <laughs> it was a blast to write. And, you know, the first story I got was my, probably one of my favorites. And I was like, if this is the way it's going to be, literally it was my first story. If this is the way it's going to be, then, uh, man, this book's going to be unbelievable. And it was Mark Grace telling the story about Sutcliffe pitching in in uh cincinnati and and this was 84 the cubs were in first place and they had gone down a little rabbit hole of losing some games and and they had a meeting in the clubhouse and Sutcliffe's you know was starting that day so he was like look i got this under control you know give me a couple runs and and we're gonna win i got it and so he gives up a home run to um paul o'neill and the next guy ups Eric Davis and works the count, and then he hits a home run. And back in those days, Riverfront, you would um, not Riverfront. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was Riverfront. It was, it's, yeah, it was Riverfront. And uh, they would they would blow off fireworks out in center field. And so you know, O'Neill goes deep, and fireworks going off in center field, and Davis goes deep, and then fireworks going off in center field. And, and uh, the pitching coach comes walking out and gets to the third baseline and Sutcliffe starts screaming at him, I got it under control, get your ass back to the dugout. <laughs> and, you know, like a good pitching coach, he keeps coming, gets to the mound. He's like, Sut, look, he goes, I know you got everything under control. I'm trying to give the fireworks guy a chance to reload. <laughs> and that was That's a, great. Yeah, so Grace had come in for the meeting, and he goes, he goes, I went down on a knee. I was laughing so hard. I guess like, I, I, you know, it took me a couple of minutes to get myself together because 
perfect timing. And that was all he said. He went back to the dugout and sat down. And, and uh, so that was the first story I got. And I was like, man, I know there's a whole bunch of these. That's um, great. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. I haven't seen that one yet, but yeah, I definitely recommend it. Um, if anybody gets a chance, it's on Amazon. It's a really good book so far. Um, not all the way through it, but I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. So, you know, Greg, one of the things I thought that was interesting about you is, you know, you were a starter when you were drafted, right? You threw a, a no hitter, I think in your last high school game, right? Correct. So how did you become a prolific reliever from the jump in major leagues? Uh, you know what? I mean, I, I went to I went to Auburn University, so my last game in my high school career was a no hitter, and then uh, came to Auburn. I was started as a freshman. Actually, was one of the starters on the USA team my sophomore year. But in between my freshman and sophomore year, college coach Hal Baird and I kind of sat down. My mentality was an everyday player, and I wasn't I wasn't dealing with the you know pitching once a week. So we, we tried I, – I became a reliever, one of the first relievers in college baseball back in 87 and threw up some really good numbers. And it just fit my mindset. My arm was durable. I could bounce back next day, you know, after almost anything. And right. uh, it just really fit who I was and am. And so did that again my junior year and got drafted by the Orioles and, uh, you know, I think I think I started about four games for the Omaha Royals in like '97, and that was about the only time that was the only time that I ever used a windup. So, wow, yeah, I know. So we talk about you know the evolution of pitching as uh, the game has started to change recently. And, and Jim, I know this was something you were curious about. Uh-huh. How, how it's becoming more of a, a four or five inning effort to be a starter now. It's almost like every everything is going to bullpenning. I mean, how do you feel about that change in the game? It feels like it's becoming more of a bullpen staff as opposed to a rotation and a bullpen. No, uh, great. Great. Yeah. Can, I ask, can I ask you too, like also to, to just to piggyback on that, um, I'd also love to get your take on just how you, if you think about uh, you today pitching and where you would see um, how that would work and what, how would your mindset change as opposed to what you were doing before, which was essentially there for a while closing games. So I was just curious about your thoughts on that as well. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the way the game's evolving, you know, where starters five innings and then, uh, a couple of relievers and, and, you know, rinse and repeat the next night. And, and um, I was talking to Tom Kelly today. I had him on my podcast and we ran through it. And he's like, you know, he was horrified the fact that guys throw three innings last night. And man, because the starter went two and a third and this guy goes three innings. Well, they can't use him for two days. So they send him down. And I'm just going, yeah. that's just graphically wrong on so many levels. Yeah. We saw a ton of that in Pittsburgh last year. It's, a, a it's awful. It really is. It's, it's, it's an awful concept. It's an awful way of, of treating players. And I hate it. Um, laughingly, I say that, you know, when I, when I got called up in 89, we had, or when I made the team in 89, we had a, a five-man bullpen. And starters, you know, if, if they went five innings, well, somebody in the bullpen's got to pick up some innings and they're not going to be functional the next night. So if we lose two starters early in games, you know, our bullpen's getting wiped out and man, maybe we call up one guy to, to eat some innings one night, but nobody's getting sent down. And it was just the way it worked. The starters were expected to, to do their job and, and get into the third time around the order. And it's a different world right now. I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, to be honest with you, it, how would it have changed, Jim? Um, yeah, I was. You know what? I mean, I came up in the era when closers, you know, I closers went an inning and a third, two innings, if needed that night. You know, I wouldn't do it every night, but my uh, my rookie year, I think I had 
64, 65 appearances and, and 85 innings. So, and then I had closed most of the year. It was, it was a lot of two inning jobs and that was the way it was. You looked at guys like Mike Henneman and Eckersley was really the first reliever that became a one inning guy. And you rarely saw him out there more than one and a third just because his coach had something to do with that. He still coaches that way. 162 game season. Yeah. You know, you, you, you keep wiping me out. I'm not going to be here in August. So, you know, take care of the arms and, and don't throw me out there every night when you need a two inning save and let somebody else take the responsibility one night. And, um, that's the way it was. I don't, I don't see any different, you know, they're not using the closers any differently. Uh, probably get a lot more one inning saves, which would have been nice. A lot, a lot better than. Yeah. Up with yeah. And do you, I mean, do you, um, you mentioned about how they're, how they're just, you know, shuttling guys back and forth, you know, because of how they can do it as far as the pitching goes in the major league roster. Um, have you, uh, have you talked to, guys about that i mean is it hard even though they understand we would understand why it's being done now you know um um, just from how they're managing things but is it still hard on guys their psyches you know i don't know i I haven't really uh you know i haven't been around the orioles for two years now with covid and everything else i haven't gotten a chance to really talk to the guys and figure it out i'm sure you know i go throw three innings. I'm down in the minor leagues for 10 days. And, um, that's just, I mean, for me, it's just fundamentally wrong that you're, you're treating your players like this, but it just seems like it's, it's an easy way of managing a bullpen, which when you got five or six guys, it's difficult to, you know, to manage a bullpen, keep people fresh, get, you know, get the right people in the game when you want them. And, um, you know, nowadays it seems like I, you know, I've seen I've seen ten man bullpens, and it's just yeah. You know, like last it. year, the Pirates, we we called up uh, Max Kranick. He pitched five no hit innings, and the next day was sent down to AAA. And I remember the whole fan base was up in arms about it, but Max didn't care at all. It, it, to him, it was completely pre planned. This is what's going to happen. But I wonder, like, how much of that is is accurate. You know, in the back of his head, he has to kind of feel burnt by that a little bit, right? Well, I mean, yeah, it's not like he's going to say anything. You know, he, right. might not, he might not ever come back with the Pirates. Um, so, no, he's, you know, being a good soldier and, and you know, towing, towing the party line, I would assume, unless, you know, he really feels like that. But I've. You know, it's a different world now. I don't, I don't know what these guys feel because it's just this is the way baseball is. I'll tell you what. On that note, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we'll pick uh, a little bit more of Greg Wilson's. Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum with our guest, uh, Greg Olson, um, former pitcher for the Orioles and several other organizations, actually, which we'll talk a little bit more about his major league journey as we go. Before we get into that, Jim wanted to talk about some of the nostalgia surrounding Greg Olson. Besides my, you know, um, truth where I had 19 of his rookie cards one year because Tops <laughs> really, really printed the hell out of that series. So. Yes, they did. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, uh, we're only about nine years apart, Greg, but, uh, you know, that, that matters a lot more when you're younger. And I can remember being, uh, I think, 12 or 13 years old at the time. And I can't tell you how many... Uh, uh, bike rides it was up to uh, the local convenience store to get another pack of 89 tops and uh, you were you were one of the guys in there man and uh, it's just kind of surreal to sit here and and uh, I, I, I remember your your uh, first round draft pick card pretty vividly and um, so yeah it's just cool it was right when I was I was super into baseball loved baseball cards. And, um, 
uh, just one of those full circle moments. So it was kind of cool to uh, have you on today. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That is, uh, I appreciate that story. That's really cool. Yeah. And um, now the other thing I wanted to spring on you because I, I doubt you had a, this, this would be a thing today, but uh, so Scribner, Nebraska is what I'm seeing. Yep. Home of me. Yeah. Okay. And how big is Scribner? Oh man, you got me on that one. I I can't think of the last time I was there. It's a, outside of Omaha a little bit. Um, I don't think it's very big at all, to be honest not with you. A, yeah, not a very big town. And uh, it's funny, my uh, wife is from Nebraska. Okay. And um, she's actually from Columbus, Nebraska. Yep. And yeah, so uh, that's like an hour west of Lincoln, or uh, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably no better at the geography out there than, than you are. But uh, so I, uh, we, you know, I got news. Gary said, oh, we're going to have Greg Olson on the show. And uh, so I brightened her day because anytime I can get, you know, she hears about Pittsburgh all the time from me and all the people that come from here and all the connections. So she was able to lay claim to you and the fact that you're from Nebraska. So, so you made her day too. Very good. All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> so um, before I, I ask you some more pitching questions, I, just out of curiosity, how did you manage to fall into training uh, Kylie Brunberry for the, the part in pitch? Good one. Um, well, I was doing a baseball academy in Southern California with one of my former catchers, Chad Cruder. And Chad Cruder was the technical advisor on Moneyball. And the same guy that hired him for that is a guy named Mike Fisher, who's done, oh, man, probably pretty much any sport movie. He hires the extras. He goes through the scenes, um, does commercials. And so Chad Cruder, they, they needed uh, Kylie Kylie didn't like the pitching coach that she had. And they were getting ready to start the pilot down at Petco Park in San Diego. And they, uh, this guy, Mike Fisher, calls Chad Cruder, and Cruder couldn't do it. And he's like, you know, you had to call my partner, Greg Olson. And he did. And he goes, you know, can you be here at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning? And it's, you know, we need you in San Diego for 12 days. And I was like, yeah, I can do it. And Got started. Uh, she was awesome. She had really worked hard on her mechanics and, and uh, worked with MP Gosseler, who was saved by the Bell Zach. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then we had a Mo McCray, who's been on a bunch of stuff. And, and those were the three main actors. And the baseball Padres were at least a bunch of AAA guys, a couple guys that had been in the big leagues that were you know playing the field. And so it was, it was a blast because I'm just sitting there going, okay, this is what you do behind the plate. This is what you, you know, so I kind of had a lot to do with the baseball scenes, but it was fun. It was a, it was a short lived series. I mean, yeah. I, I did like it when I watched it. And, and I remember at the time, the reason I asked the question was, I remember at the time thinking like, it's refreshing to watch something like this. And somebody's actually taking the time to like teach her how to look like a pitcher. You know, she, she, uh, you could put, she could play some catch and she threw good. Um, no, it was fun. It was, uh, apparently very expensive to rent Dodger stadium. We did, um, it was AT&T. I don't know what San San Francisco's is now. Um, and then, um, (laughs) and then rent Petco park for a, a day. You know, if they have to turn on the lights, it's like ten grand. If you know, you right. got they got it. They got the thing for the whole day, and you're you're only on the only on the set for twelve hours is the maximum you're allowed. So we were cramming stuff in for twelve hours, and then be done till the next day. And I think it was you know, Dodger Stadium was a hundred and some thousand dollars to rent for the day. You know, so these things got expensive. And that's the thing too. When I watch these shows or any movies. I'm such a snob about the, um, you know, all the little details. And if they're not there and it doesn't look realistic, 
I'm almost out at that point. It ruins it for me. So that was cool that you got to like, you know, um, be a part of that process because man, I think anybody that knows the game and certainly to guys like you that have played it, you watch something and it, it, it would, I mean, it stands out like a sore thumb, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I, it, it was, I was, they, they let me in on everything and they'd show me the shot after they were done. And, you know, they'd send me the script the week before and, and I, I could cross out any words I weren't right or didn't fit the verbiage. And, and, uh, it was, it was really cool. Well, it was, it was a decent series. I really enjoyed it and pretty cool. Um, that we're starting to see, you know, some, some more women getting involved in, in baseball. Now the pirates just hired their first female coach this year. You know, we saw our first female GM last year, Yeah, just good stuff to see. And, not, I'm not directly attributing it to that show, but that show was a little bit ahead of its time. Yeah, it was fun. I was hoping for about a year and a half that they'd somebody else would buy it, Hulu or something, and we'd get to keep running because that was that was a blast. I think, well, that's like you per- said, probably pretty expensive to produce. So, and I think that that's a perfect way you put it, Gary. It was just it was probably ahead of its time a little bit, you know, because man, I things I can't even piece together how long things are that they've been passed. I still think. I still think Bobby Knight was the coach of Indi- is the coach of Indiana five years ago, and it's probably been twenty. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was ahead of its time for sure. So after your um, career got launched in Baltimore, you kind of went on a little bit of a journey there, right? I mean, I think it was seven teams in, in about two years. You were yeah, very sorry, injury playing. We're getting a little getting a little storm, and my wind chimes are finally working. Um, no, it you was, were very injury plagued for a while there, though, right? I mean, no, it was just the one, uh, the one elbow injury in '93 with Baltimore, and and uh, tore the ligament. And Tommy John had been uh, as successful as it is now. I probably would have had it done, and and you know, it'd been I don't know if it'd been a different career path, but yeah, blown out the elbow, kind of wiped out my you know wiped out my confidence in in throwing the curveball. It did. It took a little bit out of my velo. It, I pitched hurt for a month and a half, and and it you know tore my mechanics up quite a bit. So it took me took me about a year to kind of piece everything back together, and still never you know quite got back on track. I mean, until you hit Arizona, and then you really really had a resurgence. Well, you know what. Yeah, they gave me an opportunity to close games, and that that was kind of my best spot. Uh, adrenaline-wise, uh, just comfort-wise, you know, I did it a little bit with with uh, Detroit and closed for them for a short time, and and uh, those numbers would have been good too, except for one bad night in in Detroit Stadium and a blowout. Um, so it was it was just a matter of getting into a consistent spot when I knew you know I knew what my role was and and had a job and and uh, was able just to relax and do what I, I, I feel like I do best. Did you find, did you find uh, when you, after you had the Tommy John and you talked about not having the confidence, I think in your curve, um, did you find that you had to reinvent yourself? And if so, how did you do that? Because I, you know, I, you know, pitching is so much about even from start to start outing the outing, you might not even have the same pitches, let alone, knowing that, you know, you're coming off major injury. Oh, I never, I never had the Tommy John. If, if, oh, uh, okay. if I had, you know, if it, it had the success rate that it does now, back then it was, there was a chance I'd never throw a baseball again, you know, if I had right. it. And uh, it's almost a rite of passage now. Now it is. Yeah. And so I, um, you know, I'd always been good at being able to recognize what guys did well, and what, you know, at the plate. So I always had a plan when I came up versus every hitter was a little bit different and always had a plan against each hitter. And then as the at bat goes along, I, you know, became really good at recognizing foul balls, takes, check swings, what it all meant and, and kind of lead, you know, led me to the next pitch. And so that, that really got me, you know, through a lot of part of it with, without the great stuff, um, I got better at my location with my fastball and, um, 
probably about two years after my injury, I picked up, I, I pulled my change up out of, uh, out of retirement and <laughs> used that quite a bit. And actually it was, it was good enough that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd throw ball one on purpose to a guy I didn't really like throw a really good best fastball about six inches off the plate just to get him, you know, on that speed. And then I'd throw a change up middle of the plate down and get a ground ball to second base and, Nice seeing you take a hike. <laughs> so you, you're saying you basically taught Trevor Hoffman how to pitch. Oh, no. I didn't say that, no, didn't say that one. Trevor, Trevor's changeup was so good, guys were looking for it and still couldn't do anything with it. Um, yeah, we had a Liriano here, so we, we know the changeup yeah. was crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the best pitch. If you, you, know, you learn to throw it, and it's, it's becoming a, a salesman where I'm trying to sell the hitter on the fact that I'm throwing a fastball. So you're seeing fastball arm speed, mechanics, and then the fastball is just not there. It's 10 miles an hour slower, a couple feet you know, short. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like if if it's not the hardest pitch to learn, it's got to be one of the hardest pitches to learn. But, man, if you can, if you can uh, uh, master it, man, it, it is a devastating pitch. Well, it really isn't hard to learn. It's just hard to get out of the mentality as a, as a young kid that you know I'm 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 going to soften the I'm going to soften this pitch up, you know, so that he can hit it, and that's the mentality that's really hard to get over. The changeup's really easy to throw, uh, at least in my mind. Um, but you just have to understand that you can't throw it as hard as you throw your fastball because the the grip doesn't kill the speed enough. So now I have to soften up my arm swing just a little bit. And then, you know, there are other ways to, to soften up the speed by, you know, changing the, uh, changing the wrist angle. Um, you know, if I had shown a guy a couple change-ups in a row, then I would drag my back foot and kill, you know, kill five more miles an hour. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways to, to do it. It's just the mentality of going, I'm going to throw something softer and try to let him hit it is just not the way – your DNA. Yeah. Not the it's way like teaching, it's it's not, like teaching Usain Bolt to slow down a little bit, right? I yeah. Mean, like, exactly. That makes sense. But, I mean, that, know, that's I, actually I, a good segue into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, which was, you know, we, we're uh, constantly focused on prospects here. Obviously, we're in Pittsburgh, and you being familiar with Baltimore, you know what that's all about as well. So – we're constantly talking about pitchers evolving, which usually comes down to, oh, he, this guy needs to learn a fourth pitch. This guy needs to learn a, a third pitch, or his slider needs fine-tuned. How do you identify what pitches guys are going to be good at throwing? Well, like, How did you decide on your repertoire? I just – curveball worked for me, my arm slot. Um, you know, I had a slider at some point. And it was it was fine. It, I think guys guys arm slots, um, guys arm slots for me kind of you know dictate what breaking ball he's gonna he's gonna be best at. You know if he's a lower arm angle guy, he's a better at a slider, uh, cutter. But Kent Colby wasn't gonna throw a twelve six curveball. Never. It's not physically. Right. It's, <laughs> it's not physically possible for a guy that's you know way below three quarter arm swing to. To, to get the fingers on top of the ball and create a 12 to six spin. So that, that's my dick. You know, that, that dictates what breaking ball he should get. And then I'm always liking, you know, um, I think velocities need to be sectioned, you know? So <clears throat> for me, it, I would have been better off with a slider with the, the velocity of my changeup being about 80, 82. My curveball was in that area. So I'd get caught every once in a while with somebody just sitting soft and getting a changeup and, and, you know, hitting it hard. So, you know, if a guy's a fastball slider changeup, that's a, that's a nice mix. I just like the, the sections of velocity to be different. I don't like, you watch guys now and they throw a slider say 87 and they throw a split at 87 and I'm just sitting there going, well, you just packaged both of your stuff into one piece right there. All they got to do is sit that velocity and they're going to get something, you know? Yeah. That's a great point because I don't see a lot of speed change on that anymore. No. Jim, well, you, you, guys in, in, man. 
the guys that just tried to, you know, hard, hard, hard. And uh, there is real no sections of, of velocities that, you know, will give hitters the fits. And they think, oh, well, I got a split and I got a slider. I'm like, yeah, but they're the same speed. So what what are we really doing, you know? Who who from, you know, it's, it'd be easier to ask you, it'd be easy to ask you something like, oh, you know, who's the best hitter you've ever faced? But, I mean, who is somebody that when you played um, pitching-wise that, you were just blown away by, or just that you, every time you got a chance to, to, to watch him that you would, I mean, who stands out to you personally? You just thought, man, I, he, he's, he's one of the best or the best I've ever seen. Oh man. Um, well, I mean, I play, you know, I got to play with Ripken for six years and, you know, on a daily basis, just watching him taking ground balls and the work ethic was, was a lot of fun. Um, and what about on the pitching side? Um, you know, what? I just it, it would be different guys. You know, I didn't really sit there. I mean, I loved watching Nolan Ryan, and uh, you know, Clemens, Clemens was fun to watch as as an opposing guy. You just you, you can go through and go, you know. And I was always amazed by Eckersley and, and his ability to. Um, it looked like nothing was happening and nothing was going on, no matter how much was going on. And I always, always tried to emulate that and looking like, you know, I could be at the beach, I could be bases loaded the ninth inning and you wouldn't tell by the difference on my face, you know? So I always, I always like guys like that, that just took care of their business. Bands and you could yeah. On the face, yeah. So, that's a, a good place for us to take another break here. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit of current events with Greg. fan forum with our, our guest uh, Greg Olson and uh, Jim had a couple questions he wanted to get to uh, regarding the current events going on in MLB as uncomfortable as they are to deal with we, we do have to broach them so yeah unfortunately uh, it's kind of our job to, to to bring it up weekly until we get some headway made and uh, I mean uh, I know Greg you you were a part of one uh, in the past, and one that got pretty ugly and pretty contentious. And um, so I just wanted to see what that experience was like and um, kind of just get your take on things today and uh, how you see it as far as the game itself and from the player's perspective because those are just things that automatically I think you have probably some pretty good insight into. Well, I'm yeah, I'm not. I can't say that I'm real up to date with the current events of, of what and why and what's going on. Um, but I was locked out in 1990, and then I was locked out again in '94, and I think we were on strike in '95. I don't. The terminology goes back and forth. Everybody said that we were on strike, and I was like, "No, we're locked out." Um, <laughs> and that one, you know, that one was just. It was coming down to it, and the owners were contentious about the, you know, the salary, and and we weren't going to try to take a, a salary cap and do all that stuff and put limits on everything, and so they quit paying the pension off, I believe, and and um, so our next stop was going to be walking out, and so they just locked us out prior to, and it was, uh, yeah, it was bad, it was really bad, and it took you know three years in the McGuire Sosa '98 season to really bring baseball fans back and, and, you know, there's still some places where the fans, you know, it's kind of ended it. And it's sad to see it going through right now. I think, um, you know, the limited knowledge that I have is I think that the players union has been soft over the past couple deals and kind of gave way, gave way. And now all of a sudden, you know, things aren't where they need to be or supposed to be. And you're seeing a pushback, but it's been a give, give, for a couple of times and now it's now it's time to push and the owners are going yeah no we're not doing that right now 
Yeah, it's it's contentious again. I think it's been building for a while. Um, you're right. I believe the players did give give, but I think they mostly gave on young players as opposed to uh, the guys that were already making the money. So they kind of can't afford to do it again this time. I I think well, that's where we're at. They haven't they haven't pushed you know the the revenue the revenue share is, is not where it's not close to where it's supposed to be and and um, you're seeing you know the salary cap hasn't moved the middle players which is usually the ones that get you know bumped out and, and moved on because they make you know good money and they're good players but they're expendable in the grand scheme of this and you're seeing them getting bumped out and pushed around so right. it's kind of the same thing as always sadly. Yeah, it definitely seems to be, um, um, listen, all labor uh, disagreements in sports aren't always pleasant, but baseball definitely seems to have the ugliest of them. Um, I mean, hockey had one that was, you know, um, pretty pretty uh, uh, significant as well. But, um, I, you know, my hope is that it doesn't, get to the point that it did in 94 and I don't know if the game today can handle something like that um, you know as far as its popularity goes uh, my uh, I, I have some concerns about that I so do yeah, I do too I don't you know I wish I had more on it but I, I, I don't and, and uh, just hopefully that it doesn't go too far down the path that you know we lose some time. As somebody who's rooting for you to be a happy person, Greg, I, I am happy that you don't have more information on it because I, <laughs> I have to, I have to write about what's going on as often as I can. And it's difficult to uh, ingest it and not get bitter just yeah. reading it. Right um, but uh, another thing going on in the game is it seems like there's just a propensity to want to add velo to every pitcher. And, you were a hard thrower, but I, I wouldn't say you were an excessive hard thrower. Um, what do you think that's doing to the game? It seems to be taking the breaking balls that used to be a change of pace, and now they're coming in at 91, 92, somewhere in there. I mean, do, do you like that addition to, to a pitcher's repertoire, or do you think we need to ramp it back and learn how to pitch again a little bit? Well, I, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing the only – professional sport where the trends have traveled upward. So you guys are in essence watching travel baseball. How hard can you throw? How fast can you run? How far can you hit the ball? And don't give yourself up for the team because that doesn't matter. Don't bunt. What else do we got? Don't, uh, don't figure don't out. Steal. How to, don't steal, you know, cause you don't want to get thrown out. Um, so yeah, we're basically seeing travel baseball. And as for the velocity, you know, there is, some theory that the radar guns continue to evolve. So when I was in high school, it was the ray gun. And if you threw 90 on the ray gun, you were throwing absolutely an utter gas. And then it became the drugs gun and the super drugs gun. And then whatever this thing is now is, is they're, they're slowly catching the ball closer and closer to the hand. And obviously with gravity and a 5.4 ounce baseball, you know, it's going to slow down over 60 feet. So, the ray gun would catch it at home plate, and now this thing that they're using is catching it right out of the hand, and I think that's kind of attributing a couple miles an hour. I don't think guys genetically throwing that much harder than Nolan Ryan or Randy Johnson. So that's kind of my take on that. And then is it better to be throwing everything hard? I No. It's not location. You know, it's the real estate line, location, location, location. Sure. And you try to do that within the framework of throwing the ball as hard as you can with location. So my guess would be about 92%, 91% effort level to locate, you know, at best. And yeah. then you still have a little bit in the tank for when I need something a little bit more. If you're facing Tony Gwynn and you want to ramp it up to 94 instead of 92. It's... It's crazy to me watching some of these kids that his Instagram has taken over and, and you were, you've been a scout recently as well, right? I think 2016 was, yeah. yeah. So you're seeing these kids posting these videos. They're at these independent training sites. They're, 
they're hitting triple digits on the gun, you know, in December. And yeah, with a with a twenty yard running start. It, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me know when Which that. I comes, also that don't understand that. Yeah, let me yeah. let me know when that one comes into play, and I, I might come back and. Well, yeah, as a yeah, scout, what do you think when you see things like that? Well, those training I, methods. My, you... my my scouting was uh, I was the advanced scout for the Padres, so I went three days in advance of whoever the Padres were playing at the major league level. So I did I, I did no amateur scouting. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan. I'm really not of of some of the stuff that they're doing. I you know my son's an 18 year old and. We work in the bullpen, and he goes and lifts weights and does what he does and stays flexible and pliable and trying to do, you know, a certain amount of strength within the framework and, and working on location and velocity inside of that location and and how do you duplicate your mechanics. And none of it is getting a 20-yard running start and throwing the ball as hard as I can into a net. Now, is he going yeah. to school or is he going to enter the draft? He is committed to Auburn University. I don't. Okay. I don't know where the draft is sitting, and, and uh, don't really care right now. It's far enough away. Well, no, but I would imagine. I guess where I'm going with it is, I would imagine a coach isn't going to want to try to mess with Greg Olson's kid as far as his mechanics that he's learned and whatnot, right? I mean, how would you deal with that as a father? I, I ask yeah. the same questions of Charlie Hayes about Cabrian not very yeah. long ago. You know what? I mean, if, if they see something that I don't see, they they got things that they got ideas. I'd, you know, I, I hope that he would be open to them, but I'd also hope that he, you know, if he says, you know, I gave this a really good effort and it doesn't work, that they would understand that and appreciate that because, you know, I made the mistake early on of listening to somebody change my mechanics year three in the big leagues, and within a year and a half, I blew my elbow out. So, yeah. um, I, I hope that he's learned that you know you listen to authority and you give it a good effort and it, it might work. It might be a new pitch. It might be a new way of thinking. I'm open to everything, but I'm also open to the fact that you know if I give it a good effort and it doesn't work, um, I'm not going to wreck my mechanics. So yeah, because there's been a lot of uh, shortening the arm stroke seems to be a big one. Um, getting everything in the same plane, you know, no matter what pitch you're throwing. Uh, just it seems unnatural to some pitchers, and I wonder if you're better off not forcing that. I don't think you force it. I mean, you try to get things. You know, there's there's ways of pitching, and one of the theories is that everything comes out of the same plane. And so you you know, and that was that was what made me effective was my fastball and curveball came out of the same plane, same zone. Right. And you know that gave me. Gave me about 30 feet of the hitter going, I don't know which one this is, you know, and I don't want to get the bat started and get a breaking ball and I'm out. And if I don't get the bat started, I got a fastball in my hands and I'm out. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what made me what I was. So I'm fine with, you know, the, the multi pitches coming out of the same zone. Um, and the other, you know, the other baseball theory is to throw things that appear to be balls and they end up as strikes or appear to be strikes and end up as balls and take advantage of the hitters. So those are the couple of the theories, but, you know, I'm, I'm open to anything and, and listening because people, you know, you don't know where you're going to get your information from. Well, when, when you talk about uh, effective, effectiveness and learning how to pitch, um, and as many times as you that you know uh, ran ran out there to pitch, um, how often did you feel like you went out there with a full tank and feeling like you had your your best stuff working? Because I think sometimes people don't understand um, how much adjusting has to go on. Uh, throughout a season and throughout, you know, uh, different uh, appearances. So uh, for you, how often do you even feel when you went out there, you had everything? Oh, not very often. You know, I mean, I think the one time that I walked out there, I was like, this is the best stuff in my life. I gave up five runs to Minnesota in about a half an out. (laughs) That's baseball right there. Yeah. So I, I, I learned after that that I'm not walking out of the bullpen carrying what I have. 
it, it was, you know, focus on. And if, if I could recognize the thing, you know, fastball was a little bit short and then it became a, you know, a much bigger focus on the location and trying to find ways to get to my breaking ball without necessarily, you know, fastballs early in counts. So yeah. you, you make an adjustment. Every night's an adjustment. That's that's the fun thing. Every you know you're seeing the same guys that you saw last night in the same inning, and last night I had better stuff than I got tonight. Well, I still got to get you out, and nobody cares if my stuff's down a little bit. Sure. Yeah, and that's the thing too is like that I always respected about relievers is is you don't have the time to sort it out as much as starters do. Um, you know, you're in a much smaller window, and so. Um, you know, knowing how difficult the game is uh, and how difficult it is to, to, to go out there every night and perform, I've always thought that, you know, from everything, from you getting the call to warming up, how quickly you've got to be ready, and then how quickly you need to go in and figure things out. Um, you know, I don't know that the, 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 the common fan thinks about those things, but I've always been super impressed with how that plays out. Yeah, that's exactly it. Coming in every night's a different night, and and uh, you don't you you try to find your location on your fastball, and I try to land some breaking balls, you know, in the zone before I walked out, and and then it's you know if you're on the road back in the '80s '90s, the bullpen mound was different than the start uh, the pitching mound, so really? you got eight pitches to figure out what you got on the mound that you're gonna really need to have it on, so. You're uh, finding your footing again, and it's a different mound. It's a different slope. It's a different rubber. It's yeah. Sometimes that's I, I think they change the rules that you have to. Everything has to be exactly to specifications. But back wow. in back in the day, Cleveland Cleveland's bullpen was about an inch high, and then you walk in, and it's about a tw- it seemed like it was a fifteen or eighteen inch mound out in, out in. Um, I've never uh, heard that before. That's crazy. No, that's, oh, that's, yeah. and so you can't figure out why it's ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four. I was like, crap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah heavy, heavy amount of sarcasm when I say this, but I'm sure it was totally by accident. Uh, well, I'm sure it was, yeah. <laughs> it mowed over the bullpen mound a couple times. That's well, really crazy. I'd never heard that. I yep. mean, Greg, this has been wonderful having you on today, and uh, I – I promised myself I wasn't going to ask you about walking Barry Bonds. I'm sure you're sick to death of hearing about it. It's it's um, you know, it's an entertaining story. So I'm not, I'm actually fine with it. If I hadn't gotten Brent Maine out after Bonds, and then it would probably be a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah, you might not be as willing to revisit it, but yeah, it ended on a good note. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, were you expecting that when? Oh. No, I was I was actually standing on the mound trying to figure because I, I faced him and I came in and faced him in the eight, and um, he was not playing that day, so he came in to pinch hit and he was a tying run. They had a guy on one or two outs, I don't recall, and um, I came in. I had I had good, really good stuff, and and you know got behind three one. Really didn't care, so I threw him a three one breaking ball, which I rarely I did, landed it, and then. Three two, I knew he was he was going. He's going to throw me another curveball. He's you know, he's backing down, and I, I knew he was dead to rights on a fastball down and away. And uh, perfect location, perfect placing, and it was ball four because it was Barry Bonds. So, you still with me? Yep. Yep. Um, so the next, uh, I get the next guy out or two outs later, and then. Um, Ninth inning comes around. It starts pouring rain. I start slipping. I walk a couple guys. And by the time that Bonds comes back up, the tying run is now at second. Bases are loaded, and I am completely and physically exhausted. So I was standing on the mound going, all right, now how am I going to get him out with way less stuff than I had about 45 minutes ago? And uh, I put up the four fingers and – I was too tired to really care at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and and did they come out and speak to you about it, uh, or did you just see it? And um, I mean, did it give? You, I mean, because it's so it's so unnatural to think that you're going to walk a run in in any scenario. So did it did it take you back, or did you just roll with it? 
I just rolled with it. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I think we had already used our mound visit, so it wasn't going to be a conversation to be had with anybody. And there's nothing you can do, you know. It was just like, all right, whatever. I got to get the next guy out now because now the tying runs on third and I've already walked six. So um, Buck wasn't exactly nobody was coming in from the bullpen. It was just me. And it was what it was. You got to just focus on getting the next guy out and, he got to th- Brent Maine got to three two and I think he fouled off like five three two pitches, and then finally flew out to right field in the game. But it was um, stressful. That would be. That would be <laughs> I can't. I can't even imagine um, what goes through your mind. Was was uh, was was Barry uh, the most. Uh, was that the most intense guy you faced? Did you feel like you could have a good plan of attack? Because he, he, he just seemed to have so very few weaknesses. You know, we got to see him here in Pittsburgh yeah. uh, early on, but then he turned into something else and uh, just became so much more of a complete hitter. Um, what was it like facing him? He was, I mean, probably – easily the best hitter I've ever faced and uh, just, you know, complete hitter. Like you said, you can't go in. He can't stay down in the way the whole time. You got to change speeds. You got to change breaking balls. You, you know, there's just no go zone down and in. And, uh, you know, so just facing him, it was, it was a cat and mouse of going back and forth and moving things around and, and going to where you didn't, you know, he didn't think you'd go. So it was it was fun. It really was a, a good one. Uh oh, your boy said he lost power. Yeah, you know we are in the middle of uh well, I assume they're dealing with ice and snow in uh, Pennsylvania. I am out of town, and um, also in another area. I'm in the Missouri area right now, and it's we're dealing with a foot of snow. So it sounds like he's got some power issues. So. Um, well, that's all right. We'll close it out. You're used to clo- you're used to closing things out, right? <laughs> no, it was fun, Jim. I appreciate it. And tell Gary and give Gary my best. And if you guys need me, you know where to find me. Yeah, you know, there's always stuff we love to talk about and revisit. And um, you know, um, we really appreciate getting guys on and uh, that that know the game, have played the game at the level that you have, and um, we're always looking to 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 learn things. And you 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 you've told me a couple things today that um i feel like hey the more knowledge you can gain the better it is and the better it is you can talk about the sport i think that we all love so um and if if you happen to you know uh is the book something you're thinking about hard uh you know hard at this point or is it just something you're kicking around i still kicking it around okay well um listen uh we'll let you get going and uh Hopefully uh, we'll cross paths again, and uh, it was it was great having you on. This will do it for us today on the Pirates Fan Forum. Um, check us out on YouTube, and uh, our buddy Gary is MIA and got some power issues. So um, you can catch uh, me on Twitter. It's uh, for the city underscore four one two, or at Jim Stam twenty two, and of course, if you like the show. Give us a like, and um, Gary is always on Twitter. He's on Facebook. He's always uh, got something good for inside the Bucks basement. And um, we appreciate you guys being along with us today. And uh, Ben, let's take it away. Yes, go Bucks!